Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Rebeat, the podcast where Sarah and I share stories from our lives and explain how they connect to certain songs. Um, we're so excited to be here for episode 28. Um, we are nearing the end of this third season, um, which is both exciting and sad. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this episode, we are going to jump into and talk about some local live music. Um, which, Freaking this. Yes, which we miss a lot. Um, we could go on another Glass Bandits rant, but we won't. We could go on another Ball Tuesday rant, but we won't. Right. <laughs> True. Um, another Granada. Yeah, we thought it'd be fun to kind of highlight some more local venues. And uh, later in the episode, we're going to dive into an interview with quite... Um, we can call him an expert on the live music scene. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Really cool guy. But we will talk more about him in a second. So yeah, let's read <laughs> <laughs> Cool. So Sarah and I are both going to share just like a quick little live music moment. Yes. Okay. So for this episode, I thought it'd be fun to talk about a live music moment that Sarah and I were at together. Um, it was actually... One of the first times that me and Sarah and a lot of our friends like hung out all together, like all of our like really good friends now. This was like one of our, yeah, this was like one of our first like group hangouts, I'm pretty sure. Mm -hmm. Um, so it was freshman year of college, and um, one one of a kind of iconic music venue in Lawrence is this place called the Granada. And all kinds of big names have come through there, um, which is actually, which is super random, <laughs> mm-hmm. but really cool. And I will interrupt and say yeah, that like college towns are like a good like starting, hold on, talk is like snipping the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> college, college towns are like a really like good for like kind of like more up and coming Right. This is because, like, college kids are so, like, open to new music. Exactly, yeah. Which is why the Granada is such an awesome place. But um, our freshman year, um, a man named Jesse McCartney rolled through town. (laughs) And we were all, like, as soon as we heard that, I mean, like, what girl our age wasn't going to be, like, hype? Right, right. Um, So... We immediately, like, all of us went out, purchased tickets, and I want to say that, so, like, me and our friend Nai, um, who we talk about all the time, had gotten tickets, and then our friends Anna and Taylor, who we were in um, our so our service sorority with, told us that they had gotten tickets, and the Granada kind of functions, like, you don't have a seat, like, you just it's all go cheap. in, it's like, you know, first come, Good first serve on space. And so they had told us they were going and we we were like, oh, like, we'd love to join you guys. And then um, Sarah got roped into the mix because she knows Taylor. Mm-hmm. And so we were all like, yeah, like, we'll just. And like, I had like, oh. I think at that point I had at least like gotten to know you guys. Yeah, we'd probably like sat down at Mrs. Z's. Oh, yeah. Um, which was the of our freshman year dining hall like together. And so, yeah, we were we had just kind of like this group that was going and um, now that we're both 21, it's appropriate to say that we all sat in, I want to say it was Anna McCormick's freshman year dorm room in Ellsworth. 
Totally was. And the funny part was a lot, some of our guy friends being, I'm pretty sure it might've just been Brayden and Santiago. Yeah. And um, I don't. Oh, and Henry maybe? No, Henry wasn't there, but I think we went to like Bryce's room and like bothered him, but he didn't like hang out with us. Okay. Yeah. So they were there too, because that same day there was like a concert happening at school. And I yeah, don't remember who it was. It was uh, like it was like a foot. It was like that was happening at the football stadium. I think. Yeah. So KU usually does like a spring football game and have like a uh, like a show after. And I, th- oh my god, I like who know- was it? I like know who it was, but I can't remember. I know, but that same night, that person was performing, and so we were like, okay, perfect. Like we can all pregame these concerts together. <laughs> And so we, our freshman year selves, opened a bottle of like pink lemonades, Vedka, and went crazy in the dorm room, um, as we should, <laughs> as freshmen. I think it was Rick Ross. I think you're right. I think you are right about that. Yeah. So the boys were going to Rick Ross and the girls were going to Jesse McCartney. So yeah, we had all gotten pretty crazy off of our Svedka. And I want to say, like, not to be dramatic, but freshman year, that was, like, probably, like, the most, like, drunk I had been in my life. (laughs) (laughs) was, like, that night, which was, I don't know why, but. (laughs) Yeah, we, we, I do recall we, like, went to the concert at, like, 6 p.m. And you you kind of had a moment in the back of the car, like, we've never been this drunk at 6 (laughs) p.m. Right, right. Like, it was literally like, what? Because remember, Gustavo drove us. I was going to say, not to mention, our friend Gustavo was the one who was kind enough to drive us there. And, like, at that point, I really didn't know him very well. I literally had met him at a Fiona party. (laughs) And And I think, yeah, and I I think you were the one who was like, can you please I had him on and I was like... I'm going to text him and see if he can drive us because we don't have a ride. <laughs> and, like, we knew he had a car. And, like, freshman year, that was, like, the thing. It's, like, who has a car, you know, to drive us. And so, yeah, we all, like, piled into Gustavo's Nissan Altima and, <laughs> like, drove to the Granada Theater. And I just remember, like, completely, like, we were in line waiting and we were all just, like, vibing and thriving. And we met all kinds of people we were just like being annoying and talking to all the girls around us in line and like whatever and we finally like get into the um concert mm-hmm. and find our spots and the funniest thing of so these two girls who were seniors in high school at the time like connected with us and they figured out and they were like incoming freshmen to KU and they figured out that Taylor and Anna, like, lived in Ellsworth. And these two girls, like, apparently had, like, you know, found their room in Ellsworth. And they, like, had, like, the specific room that they were going to live in, like, the number. And it happened to be, like, on Anna and Taylor's floor. And, like, they it was literally, there. like, I think, like, the room across from Anna's. Yeah. And so they were, like, oh, my God. Like, if you guys want to come, like, tomorrow, you know, I'll drunk they were like come to Ellsworth tomorrow and we'll like show you your room and like sure enough the next day they did go over there like those two girls like they definitely like gave them the little tour of Ellsworth which was really funny um but 
I will say that the main song, I think, you know, beautiful soul aside, <laughs> right. that we were all excited to hear was Shake. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Which, I mean, like to this day, I like consider that one of those, like, you know, like that song reminds me of like, specifically Anna. Yeah. Actually, because when Anna's on Ox, that's like one of her like songs that she always plays. Something I do remember about that is we were all like sitting there and at the concert and dancing and shit. And we realized like how old Jesse McCartney yeah, is. He's old, dude. Yeah. And we all were like, and he's like married and has a child and stuff. And he was like, he like was bringing girls up onto the stage to like serenade them and just like giving us like the Jesse McCartney experience that we all would have wanted when we were tweens. Mm-hmm. and we all just kind of like it we really like hit us that we had that realization that like he is old yeah yeah he is old and it was just like a funny moment but yeah that that night yeah it was for sure like just like a pivotal like friendship moment yeah i, I would agree it um, kind of for like us and our friends there was a yeah. lot of iconic Snapchats taken that night, too. I actually want to say, because didn't we try to, like, go to the Hawk after? And, like, it didn't work out? Yes. And the line was ridiculously long. And we were all freezing, I think. Yeah. And then, and then I remember, because we were in line. We had, like, met up with the boys. We had, like, re... And we were in line. And we took that selfie. And I, like, stupidly wrote, like, captioned it, um, a whole lot of gang shit. And, <laughs> yeah. and that's the name of our group chat like two yeah it's, it's stuck and the girl group chat is called girl gang shit yeah <laughs> that and is really true we have gone as far as to make like twitter and instagram dm groups and it's like whole lot of insta shit and whole lot of tweet shit yeah <laughs> <laughs> this is true Sorry, you guys are getting we, we, but we don't like go around being like, oh yeah, we're a whole lot of gang shit. Like it's, no, no, it's, it's very much just the title. Of the <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh wow. So I guess like, cheers to that night. It was we all just had like a stupid amount of fun. Yeah, we did. Bouncing around, just nights like this. How could you not? Yeah. Jesse McCartney was on the stage, and we all were drunk off Svedka, and it was freshman year. <laughs> Something like that. Iconic times, but yes. Yeah. Um. So my story is a little bit different, <laughs> a little bit different vibe. But so my brother introduced me to the artist Corey Wong, who's like really cool, and he's like kind of like a funk, like guitar and bass player. And uh, his music is just, like, so fun. And my brother has seen him in concert, I want to say, at least two, maybe three. I think at least three times, actually. And he was like, dude, if you ever get the chance to, like, go to a Corey Wong show, you should. And then it, like, came up that he was touring, and my brother, like, sent me, like, he was coming to Kansas City. And I'm from St. Louis, and, like, when he was coming was over winter break but it was like towards the end of winter break. And so I was like, oh, like maybe I could go um, like just back to school a little bit early. Like I could start working early and I could like see Corey Wong. And then I was like deciding, I was like, well, who am I going to like take with me? Like, I'm not just going to go by myself. Like I'm not from Kansas City. I haven't been at the venue. So like, I just like be 
it'd be more comfortable and more fun if I like had somebody to go with me. So I was like, oh, I don't know if I'm gonna like bite the bullet and buy a ticket because like I don't want to have to ask somebody that's like not into Corey Wong to go. But then the KU radio, like student radio station, KJHK, tweeted and they were like, retweet this tweet for a chance to win Corey Wong tickets. And so I was like, okay, bet. And I did. And then like a day or two later, I got notified that I had won. And I like went back and looked at the tweet. And I think there were literally like five retweets. So like it was slim pickings, but I still won. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I got two free tickets to the Corey Wong show. So I invited our friend Audrey, who lives in KC. And I was like, Audrey's like really into music. Her dad is a musician. He's been on. Um, and so I like knew she would be down with like the vibe, like even though she like probably didn't know who Corey Wong was, I knew she'd like be down to like go see a show. And so I, I I invited her and I went to her house. Like I said, like I went back to school, quote unquote school. I went to Kansas City early and she came with me and it was so fun. It was at this venue called the Truman. And he's just like such like a good entertainer. Like he at one point, you know, the like car like the car dealership like wacky inflatable arm guys. He like had those on stage. <laughs> <laughs> and he had like he had one guy playing saxophone and like two trumpet players, I think. Yeah, I think it was like a saxophone player and two trumpet players, maybe. But like a, a small horn section, which you know is very near and dear to my heart and the I remember specifically the saxophone player was like really really attractive and Audrey and I were both like dang not only are we seeing this really cool show but we get to like look at this man (laughs) (laughs) um but it was just like a super fun vibe but something about those that horn section yeah really truly but the so like I said he's like very fun and entertaining and like upbeat his album that had like that was most recent at that time was called I think it was called I think it was called Elevated it's called Elevated Elevator wait Elevator Music for an Elevated Mood that's the name of his album and that's a sick name right I thought I thought that was super fun and yeah but his song one of the songs that he played was it's called airplane mode i think and that's like always been one of my favorites oh sorry i'm getting confused it's called takeoff airplane mode is another one on that album but i think the one that he played was takeoff and he had like um a woman singing with him and it was oh my just, god not all the airplane yeah moments. it was just like really really fun and i'm glad that we did that I remember because I want to say you guys like went to the concert and like a day or two later I like came into town yeah you did yeah and like hung out with like we all because there was like a big snowstorm yeah and so we all like you guys like picked me up from the airport like Audrey's dad and you guys and we like just like had like a (laughs) that's actually a whole nother story (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we'll just, crack that another time yeah 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 yeah. it just hit me what that was but yeah okay so 
Our shout-out for this week is a group called the Fantastics, and they're from Kansas City. And Fantastics is spelled with P-H. But they're super cool. Um, I actually found them on a playlist that Max Indeveri made. He was on in the Friends of Friends episode. Um, They say, expect to hear rap, rap, dance, funk, jazz, and soul all incorporated into music. I really personally like their song called Get Up. Um, I've been listening to that a lot. But they're just like a fun, groovy vibe. And um, I think there's, it's a whole band. I think there's seven of them. But yeah, support local black artists in KC. All right, guys. We are very excited to have our first ever author on the show. Uh, We're sitting here with John Nickham via Zoom right now. And um, yeah, John is the author of a book called, well, a whole kind of series and website and blog, which we'll have him explain more of, called The Worst Gig. And uh, we met John as he has connections to KU. He's a professor in the J School, which Sarah and I are both a part of. And sit and talk about some live music on this episode with John. So yeah, hello, John. Do you want to say hi? Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. It's going to be fun. Yes. Yes. You want to um, to get started, we have to do a little icebreaker, but what if you're going to do karaoke, what song are you going to perform? I'm very proud of the fact that I've never done karaoke. And um, <laughs> and there's a reason for that is cuz um, for years I uh, made my living playing in bands. That's how I put my way through college at KU. And um, I always, uh, you know, when you have a mic and the ability to actually sing a song, the uh, desire to do karaoke uh, dwindles. So (laughs) I've never once, uh, and I would never call myself an actual singer, but I did sing background vocals on a number of bands, but I've never done karaoke, not once. Wow. Do you, have you have you seen a karaoke performance that you were like, if I was going to, I would try to mimic this? <laughs> yes, uh, I my best friend we we went to some charity event and they had karaoke and he used to be a singer in one of my bands, and he did the funniest version of uh, "You Ought to Know" by Alanis Morissette that, I, and I I was like, no one will ever top that funny version of that song, and that was like, okay, I appreciate this. <laughs> Wait, that's really awesome that is funny yeah. awesome well yeah john if you just want to um start by kind of giving us some background about you like specifically about kind of um music your music background sure well like i mentioned you know i i uh played guitar and bass when i, I came to ku to basically do that to get in bands and you know that was my major for a while and um it somehow, well, it put my way through school. You know, I, I played in bands, taught guitar lessons. I ran sound at the bottleneck, was a studio musician, did all this stuff. But um, during that, I started writing some articles for a uh, music publication called The Note. And then the way I got into writing full time was The Pitch at the time, which was a very big alternative weekly newspaper, was looking for a music editor. And I applied and got the job. And that kind of... Um, you know, marked a slow transition from full-time musician to full-time writer. So in like, in like uh, making the jump from like being a musician to being a writer, did you also play your hand at like songwriting? 
Yeah, I was never the primary songwriter, yeah. but I wrote enough songs to be able to do that. I, I, I actually wrote more music than I did lyrics um, for whatever oh, reason. Yeah. I always wrote some form of music in any band I was in. So in, co like in college, as you're kind of like putting your way through college with music, what, how many, what band was like your primary band that you were playing with? The ones in college were, let me see if I can remember this. It'd be the Ideal Tenants, Real Features, Punch and Judy. And then out of college, it was Groovehead, Easter Day, the Bedinskys. Those are the ones. Uh, what kind of, yeah. How long were you doing those? Um, that would have been 18 years. Wow. Yeah. Are you from Kansas? Uh, yeah, I was born in Louisville, but I moved to Kansas City when I was four. And then I uh, went, uh, moved to Lawrence to go to KU when I was 17. And I've lived here ever since. Wow. Oh, wow. What I know. It is like a really cool music scene, which I didn't know yeah. until I came to KU. <laughs> no. Yeah. And it was uh, particularly, I mean, it was pretty good in the 80s, but in the 90s, it was unbelievable. It was, it was shockingly great. Uh, plus the music scene in general was more healthy in the 90s so like everybody everybody had a had a record deal it was just nuts mm, with the like what were some of, so you play you said that you ran sound at the bottleneck but have you ever yeah. gotten to play there too oh yeah i yeah. probably played there 40 or 50 times maybe wow it was fun to hear like we were talking to um one of the bands that we've had on the show is a local band called glass bandit and they were telling us they're a little bit older than Sarah and I, but they were telling us um, kind of in their like PKU times, like the bottleneck was like the most fun place to go to, like in general. Like It was the club yeah. in the 90s, for sure. Yeah. Um, and, but it was also a different scene because um, it, it kind of pre, there, there was a point during kind of the alternative, you know, grunge era where um, everybody was going to see live music, even people who traditionally would now go to, see a dj like you know frat guys were going yeah, to see yeah. live music so it was like everybody even um so what kind of music were you guys playing did all of your bands fall under similar like genres no i'd say they were all dissimilar but they were um they were always in the rock pop range something that you'd find on mtv at the time you know? yeah so do what other venues in lawrence did you like did you play with I think I've played every venue except for whatever reason, I never once played the replay. And, and it was because it kind of started a little later. Uh, yeah. And then the band I was in when I was still in bands, when the replay was open, it was um, a little cozy to play in there. Um, yeah. That's what, what was your favorite Lawrence venue to play at? I, I like the bottleneck just because I also yeah. worked there for so long. So I was just comfortable. Like I could, walk in and knew how to like turn up the air conditioning yeah. <laughs> which was very tricky in that club yeah. <laughs> you'd be surprised you know but I knew where everything was and I knew you know the owner and the bartenders and stuff that was a, a very comfortable venue yeah and I also loved um I love playing Liberty Hall even though the sound was really crappy and but um on stage anyway but like the venue just has such a power and history and stuff and um, it's it, when you look at like the track record of who's played Liberty Hall, it's really unbelievable. Yeah. 
really true. I kind of like segueing into talking about like your book a little bit more. What was your, what was your worst game you ever played in Lawrence? Um, boy, I'm trying to remember. I, nobody's asked me, believe it or not, uh, what the worst gig in Lawrence was. Um, but I, I'll tell you one that was very frustrating. There was a, uh, <laughs> it was a pub crawl and it was uh, in the early nineties. And this was in a band called Groovehead. And uh, they had set up this thing where there were five bands at each of the clubs and there, you know, multiple dozens of clubs and you would pay a fee to get in for this pub crawl. So, I mean, it was a huge deal. And at that moment, the city decided that that weekend that they were going to introduce a new law, uh, which was a club card law, which is you would have to become a member of the club in order to enter the club. It was a way to kind of curb underage drinking. So mm -hmm. everybody, we had lines of people to show up at this show and they were like, you can't, you can't get in unless you buy a $25 club card for this venue. And that was the most frustrating gig that I remember. And I haven't thought of that in years. <laughs> but that is by no means my worst gig which i definitely talk about in the book which i'm uh which it's a it's a good worst gig i'll tell you <laughs> yeah. um just kind of talking about that so if i i don't know if this overlapped or if it was kind of a transition but you were like a music journalist for a while and that's kind of where you started to like get to know these stories and stuff right can you talk about yeah that? uh i was the uh, you kind of it's kind of hard to tell from what the pitch is now versus what it was then mm -hmm. but the, the pitch was uh, uh when i started it was okay size by the time we when we sold it seven years later we were unbelievably dominant uh, i mean you know it was like we were putting out i mean there were times we had a 180 uh, sorry 180 page paper Oh wow. Uh, you know, I mean it was it was incredible. I mean, a huge staff, et cetera. But yeah, I was the music editor for that and it started as a music publication. So um as kind of the rise of the 90s music scene started, um, we kind of were all part of that and uh, helping to feed it and support it. So uh, as such, we had access to everybody who came through the Midwest, you know, for interviews and such. And so I started um, you know, I at a certain point, I just started interviewing famous people. And uh, through a very weird turn of events, I started asking the question, what is the worst show you ever played? And I, I, I realized after I got a couple answers that I was really onto something because uh, most people I asked would go, oh, I've got a story for you. And they'd launch into some five minute story. And so I had this, you know, unique opportunity where I had this kind of question that was mine and I had access to all these people you normally wouldn't be able to get on the phone or meet in person. Right. And so I just filed that away and started, um, you know, collecting these stories. And at a certain point I knew I had, I knew I had a book. Um, so I shopped the, the book around for a while and I got no interest. And one of the, uh, the publisher says, you know, this would work better if you were a website and then we could spin off of that. So I was like, oh, okay. So I, I created the website and um, the first week the website launched, we had like, you know, a couple hundred views and it was okay. And then Buzzfeed picked it up that second week and we went to, you know, a couple hundred to 20,000 views. Wow. And then Salon wrote this article saying that um, uh, the headline was worst, uh, worst gig is the, is the best uh, um, 
or best something ever, you know, it was best site ever. And so after that, um, CBS I productions sent me an email saying, Hey, are you working with anybody to, to turn this into a TV show? And I was like, well, I am now. <laughs> so we, we worked on that for about a year to try to turn it into a TV show. And, um, oh, while it kind of, it moved forward for a while and then it just ultimately it, they passed on it. Um, but during that time, <laughs> this writer saw the site and, and he goes, Hey, you know, um, I think my publisher and my agent would be really interested in you. Have you ever thought of turning this into a book? And so a couple of years after I pitched it, I was like, Oh my God, the entire reason I was doing this was to turn it into a book. <laughs> so I, I signed with a, a big New York agency and within two weeks I had a book deal. Wow. Wow. So how many, cause there's like a couple different, like, like versions of the book, right? Like, is it, there's, there's just one it, version of the book. There's the okay. website has uh, different material in it than the book. So do you continue to update this website? I do. I just yeah. added a story this month from Fred Armisen. Oh. I interviewed him and, you know, he's of course a musician. And, mm -hmm. uh, and so he told me one of his worst stories. That was fun. <laughs> I, I'm sure. And I've only, I, I will say, I've only read part of the book so far, but I'm sure that that's just like, honestly, hilarious. Some of the. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's a, it's a fun question because most people have a story. Um, I would say probably, oh, every three every third person I ask gives me a usable story. Some people, you know, they give one that's kind of, eh, doesn't you know, translate well. Yeah. And then I've had others who go, you know, I honestly don't want to talk about mine. It was so painful. <laughs> it, it, it kind of scarred me. I, I'm, wow. I'm, I don't want to talk about it. You know, and it's, a, <laughs> so range, more it's intriguing. the gamut from, from um, you know, hilarious to um, soul scorching, I guess. Yeah. Something interesting in like kind of when I was like reading through your book is I it something interesting about like some of the bigger people that you've interviewed is it seems like a lot of like their worst gigs kind of go back to their like more beginning type of days, which I think is interesting because it kind of gives you again some insight into like you know they're starting like, certainly. Um, but yeah. I would also counter that the bigger the band is, the more grandiose their worst gigs are. Because <laughs> I think every bar band has bad gigs where stuff doesn't work or people yeah. get sick or, but like, like, I mean, I don't have a story where I'm playing Malaysia and there's a military coup and guys run onto the field or onto the stage with machine guns and point at you and say, get oh. off the stage, we're going to kill you. But that happened to Joe Satriani and that's in my book. Oh my God. So, you know, the, the bigger the artist, the, like I said, the more insane their, their stories can be sometimes. Do you have, uh, is that, like, I'm sorry. Uh, not to like, you know, pick, have a bias or anything, but do you have like a favorite or like a, like your favorite story that you've like gotten out of somebody? I think the, the story that, that I certainly get the most feedback on is Fugazi. Uh, and if you know who that is, it's uh, uh, Ian Mackay who was in Minor Threat and, you know, a big um, DIY punk pioneer. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's the story of them playing uh, Poland in the early 90s and essentially what happens is they're they're playing on this college campus and they're staying on the college campus and um at some point the venue they're playing at uh, a couple uh skinheads show up to the venue and the venue declines selling them tickets so and you know fascism and 
in uh, Eastern Europe uh, during the early 90s was, was big then as it is now. Uh, and uh, so these skinheads decide that they don't like that and they're gonna go find the band and have a word with them. Only it's not five or 10 of them. Um, they gather about an army of a hundred and they march through the campus where these guys are and start uh, a riot and start breaking windows and beating people up and looking out for the band. And so the story that uh, Ian tells uh, is him not only trying to escape being killed by the skinheads, but trying to get uh, uh, leave with their van that had all their equipment, which they couldn't afford to lose, uh, to get out with that as well. And it almost reads like a, uh, uh, you know, like a, like a heist with them trying to escape this, this army of rioting skinheads that is only uh, put down when, when the police's own riot police come in and, and oh try and break this thing up. Wow. That's a story that doesn't happen to your Topeka bar band. You know yeah. what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> no, not exactly. Definitely not. <laughs> That's what I'll say. Sarah and I have for sure stolen your question in a couple of the bands that we've interviewed. And most of the ones that we've gotten so far is like kind of along the lines of like something didn't work. Like yeah, something. right. <laughs> yeah, some piece of equipment like crapped out on them. Well, you know, it's funny what what sticks with you, like when when I, I wanted to put my own story in the book and I remember t talking to my wife and going, you know, I have these stories and I have a lot of bad gigs, but I don't have one that that's like horrible. And she goes, well, didn't you get stabbed once? And it wasn't until she said it that I realized I had totally blocked that out of my memory. But I did read that. <laughs> I had indeed gotten stabbed at a gig, not from like a you know serial killer or anything. But uh, we played a show in uh, Wichita at this venue called the Aviator, and um, I had sat down on the stage in between a song to do some uh, uh, maintenance on my the fretless bass I was playing, and I didn't realize when I did that I had sat on something sharp when I got back up to the microphone, we were playing a song and uh, one of the singers, uh, Elaine, she started looking at me really funny and she's kind of staring at my butt and I'm like, what? And then she kind of points and, and the entire back of my jeans were soaked in blood. I had sat on a beer bottle and it had punctured an artery. Oh. And so, you know, our, our other singer, Scotty was like, well, we're going to take a short break. And I remember them, I went into the bathroom, they're shoving, uh, shoving paper towels in my pants to stop the bleeding. And it just wouldn't stop. And we ended up playing the gig and I was really woozy. I don't remember the gig. And I don't remember, we, we took two cars there and we drove back from Wichita. I don't really remember driving home, but they put all these towels on the front seat of Scott's car where I was sitting. And I remember when I got out, um, we took the towels out and the blood had soaked entirely into his seats. <laughs> that gig. That's so funny how <laughs> you just, again, like you just kind of like blocked that out yeah. for a minute there. <laughs> and I, you know, and of course I don't remember playing the rest of the gig like at all, right. you know, yeah. you just go you on autopilot. Not because you had no choice. <laughs> you literally right. can't remember. <laughs> 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 you know, something that um, is interesting, because now, of course, like you said, you kind of like, um, 
were made like you know thought of this first as a book somebody thought of the idea of like a tv show but and still and updating your website now what have you um looked into like video and how you know because now everyone has their phones to like capture all these like yeah i i did a you know and and it's one of the things about the site is yeah these are worst gig stories that's told from the musician's point of view uh which is very different than i was at a show at you know sprint center and this happened i captured on my iphone well that's not really the same you know what i'm doing is giving the musicians book so i you know there's been video on the site from day one but it's uh it's video interviews that i conducted uh where we talk about it and then um i do link to some stuff but i don't like the the whole point of the site is it's all my stories that i've gotten Um, i'm not i'm not you know gleaning these from from anywhere else um so i don't really i don't really care about other people's stories unless i've talked to them you know gotcha yeah in kind of like interviewing some of like the big like names you have like is there any time that you felt like genuinely like starstruck with some of these people yeah early on um i I have done so many and continue to do because you know i still write for the kansas city star and uh i've done you know i was trying to quantify at one time how many interviews i've done and i couldn't figure it out but it's thousands at this point Mm -hmm. Uh, i don't know if it's ten thousand. it might be but it's certainly in the in the uh, mid to high thousands, I would say. But uh, yeah, I mean, there are certain um, there are certain questions you can you can ask that I think are uh, applicable to everybody. I don't know if worst gig is, but uh, but I, I, going back to your question, right, do you get starstruck? Yeah, early on there were. Um, I remember. Uh, do you guys know who Tori Amos is? Is that familiar to you? Yeah, I, yeah, I think so. Okay, yeah, she was a very popular. Uh, beautiful singer songwriter person from the from the 90s on MTV MTV all the time and uh, she played the lead center and uh, right after I'd just gotten uh, the job at the pitch and I did a interview with her and um, midway through the interview she said congratulations you're the first person who's ever asked me three questions in a row that I've never heard before and she goes I really want to meet you and I was like, cool. So we went and sat front row at the lead center at her show. And um, afterwards we went backstage to, my wife and I went backstage to meet her. And it was really strange because normally there's like a, a buffer from, from when you see somebody to when you meet them, you know, you mill about 20 minutes and they, you know, take a shower or whatever, you know, but we'd seen her and she's larger than life, this person, this performer. And we literally, walked to the backstage and immediately met her and I remember I could not come up with a single interesting things to say (laughs) you know I remember like I I introduced my wife I go this is my wife Anne and my wife's response was I'm his wife Anne and it's like oh my god and then we talked to her for like five minutes so she was very nice and again this is pre before I'd met a whole bunch of famous people and uh and then when she left we kind of looked at each other and went Oh my God, we were idiots. We didn't <laughs> say anything interesting. Long <laughs> opportunity. So I'm I'm cognizant now of, you know, if you're going to have that opportunity to meet someone, take advantage of it. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And I haven't failed since then. <laughs> <laughs> this is just like a little random side question, kind of back to when we were talking about like DJs versus live music. At your wedding, did you guys have a DJ or live music? 
we had a live band and it was uh, one of uh, filled with people who I'd been in bands with before. The music oh, right. uh, that we had at the ceremony was two of my ex bandmates, And then the band we had, the drummer um, from the stabbing story, it was his jazz combo. <laughs> yeah. What, so what, like, what kinds of music do you just like, like to listen to? You know, that's very hard to answer. Okay. <laughs> you know, because uh, my mom's a jazz musician, so okay. I, I know jazz okay, you know, um, and I know rock stuff really well, but I've also got a 17-year-old daughter, so I know stuff that a 17-year-old girl would listen to. I don't know, girl, 17-year-old would listen to. Uh, and um, so I, I, I'm, I think I'm pretty good at a, at a wide range of stuff. I don't, I don't really listen to, you know, like mainstream country that I find that really boring and um, uh, hip hop bores me to death. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Do you have like an all time, like I, I, they say that when you're in like high school and college and even a little post-college, that's like the music you listen to then is what you listen to the rest of your life. So like, what Probably. were you listening to then? Well, I mean, I was I was just starting to play guitar, so I was very into guitar dominated bands, okay. um, you know, uh, and and more uh, technically challenging bands in high school. You know, I'll be the first to admit I loved like Rush when I was in high school, um, but you know, like all time favorite bands now. You know, for me, it's uh, it's it's kind of obvious bands. You know, Queen, The Police. Yeah, um, I love Black Sabbath. Mm-hmm. um you know obvious stuff yeah were there any artists that like you were given the opportunity to interview that you were just like this is awkward because I just like I'm not I'm not a fan <laughs> no because yeah. um I, I've interviewed all kinds of people from different genres okay. and yeah, yeah. I don't really I don't have to like a band to write a okay. great story about them right Conversely, right. I can really like a band and they may be a terrible interview so, you know, uh, I, I, I learned early on, don't, don't worry about that. You know, yeah. you can always, and I've also interviewed a lot of people like who I just wasn't expecting to be blown away by, you know, I mean, you, you know, Keanu Reeves, that guy's fascinating. I mean, he is really he a great interview and, you know, going into it, I was kind of like this guy, but <laughs> I really liked him, you know, that's really cool. Yeah. Yes. I know. So obviously as just like a, a musician a music lover what role do you find like besides in like your professional career like what role does music play in like your everyday life like are you just, are you someone who's constantly listening to music i am yeah. um and i still i still buy cds and oh, my okay. daughter makes fun of me all the time <laughs> but i don't like to download music i like to have a physical thing that i can hold and look at and put in my car i still like that i mean i know i know that's kind of an old man thing to say but I still like it. I uh, have quite the the rack of C, like shelf of CDs somewhere. I do. I do. Well, I mean, for oh my god, over twenty years, every CD I got was free because of being a music or entertainment editor. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so you know, I amassed an unbelievable collection to the point where my wife said no more. So now <laughs> if I buy one; it just stays in my car. Um, but I bought like four last week. I decided I was. I, I, I've been doing like I'll look at an artist that like I haven't really explored before and then I'll just eat up everything you know and then I'll move on to the next person you know 
That's definitely, I listen to music very similarly. Like once I like find a song that I like by someone, I, I go down the, the deep dive of the single person as well. I feel like Sarah's like that too, oh, honestly. Yeah. 100%. yeah. Uh, so I'm on a, I'm on a death cab for cutie uh, bender right now. <laughs> and um, the, this artist named uh, Sandy Denny from the early 70s um, and I've been listening to all her stuff plus I just read the biography of Andy Summers a guitarist for the police so I bought the one police record that I didn't own and I've been listening to that as well. Awesome <laughs> I love the the record store down on Mass Street that's so fun to just like go through and like sift through. it is fun to look at even yeah. though I haven't had a turntable in like 35 years. Another question we want to want to ask is uh, you are a professor um, you've done journalism and uh you do film now and mm -hmm. just like talk about that and like are you able to like tie in all your music knowledge to the classes and stuff um yeah i mean i i think um one thing that really ties in nicely with uh the, especially teaching media writing which i taught at least i don't know 20 25 times or something um was i taught a whole thing on interviewing and i think that that got kind of lost um, in the J school, which is nobody really talks about, you know, what are the tricks, the tips, the things you need to do and learn how to, because almost every article that you write, unless you're a columnist or something, starts with an interview. Yeah. So I have a whole unit about interviewing and, you know, uh, the, the tips I've learned for that. Yeah, yeah. that's what, as as someone who has had to write stories, it's really hard to uh, write a good story without quotes, so. Well, yeah, I mean, if you get terrible quotes, you know, you better be a great yeah. writer. Right. Uh, you know, right. And, and we've all had to do that before where you've interviewed someone who is not a good interview no matter what you do, and then you gotta, but it, I'll tell you, it falls into place when they're saying great stuff and you're asking great questions. Yeah, it, I, um, so my minor is sport management and I work in the, uh, athletics department for communications. Yeah. Sometimes, like the player interviews are just like duds. It's like, uh, <laughs> well, you know, uh, sports guys are not. Yeah. Known to be the best I'm yeah. like, come on, like you're you're going you're playing for KU basketball. Can you at least pretend that you have a good answer? <laughs> Plus, you know, I, I always I, I try and look at it from their perspective too. It's like it'd be hard to come up with things to say after a basketball game. Yeah. Because I mean, you're essentially doing, you know, unless something really odd happens, you're just repeating the exact same thing every single time, as opposed to someone like, you know, you're interviewing a, you know, say you're interviewing a, an actor, you're talking about the current film. Well, that can be absolutely, totally different than the previous film, mm -hmm. yeah. you know? Uh, I mean, you know, just, you know, different role, different setting, different genre, but the basketball players, they're all playing a basketball game. Right. You know? Right. What are some like, in kind of like prepping for some of like the interviews you've done, like, do you have like, kind of like your, your go-tos, your things like that, that you always, or do you try? Well, I mean, I have a, a list uh, that I've broken down into genre. I've got a music one, a film one, and then just kind of a generic one um that that are called uh you know generic film interview questions and they are every time i get like what i consider a really good question that gets good answers i put it in this file 
And I mean, it's probably a hundred questions deep. And so um, the first thing I do when I'm researching a subject, um, you know, I'll read up a few things on them and then I'll get a sense in my mind, like, um, okay, like today, um, I watched the movie Nomadland and I'm gonna interview uh, one of the producers who's a Kansas City guy. Um, and that's the connection, you know? Mm -hmm. So I watched the movie first and then I'm gonna, um, you know, go through and look at all the other stuff I know about this guy, possibly read some other interviews, and then I'll throw down some questions into a document. And then I'll go to my generic questions and I'll look down and go, well, does any of these apply? Are these good questions? Sometimes I may not choose any of them. Sometimes I may take two or three. Mm -hmm. And then that's when I'll start building the, uh, the document of what I want to ask. And, you know, it, it's like, if I know I'm going to do like a narrative interview, uh, my questions will look completely different than if I know I'm going to do a Q&A where the reader is going to actually see my question. Mm -hmm. So it'll be a completely different structured question. And that's, you know, and it usually takes me to interview somebody I know I'm going to like write a cover story on. It's going to take me at least two or three hours of research till I have a, a comfortable amount of questions. Mm -hmm. uh, what is and, kind of, oh sorry keep going yeah no go ahead oh what's kind of like your thought on letting the subject that you're interviewing like see the questions ahead of time like do you feel like you get better responses when they're more like no wow. that's that's a that's a journalism maxim which is you never let anybody see right right and right if you do yeah, let yeah. somebody see you're doing the wrong thing and you're in the wrong yeah. profession never let them see because um you don't want them to rehearse an answer and you don't right. want to tell them, no, I'm not going to answer this. Um, so it's a, it's just a really bad idea to ever do that. And I've had, you know, people say, Hey, is it okay if I see the questions in advance? Yeah. I've got, it's, it's the ultimate way to stop that from happening. If somebody says, can I see the answer uh, questions in advance? This is what I say. No. And then I don't say, <laughs> I force them to, uh, I'll just, I'll just leave dead space. And, and I'll, it, because if you go, no, I don't really, and you start explaining stuff, yeah, yeah. it'll be kind of a, you know, quid pro quo. But if you just say no, it's so uncomfortable that they just move on and they never ask again. <laughs> That's a good day. Go. <laughs> I, I think like, as we've, um, we've definitely practiced interviewing more, making this podcast and stuff. But I think one of our biggest things is like, we don't, want to we don't want to sound scripted and we want like authentic answers and conversation to be sparked so that's and that works better in a podcast anyway right, right. Uh, because it wants you want it to sound more like a conversation than a transcribed interview exactly exactly right so you're you still are pretty active on the website what is like the actual like url for that it's worstgig.com okay i didn't know yeah, i also I think, own yeah. the worst gig and worst gigs and worstgig.net i own them all so okay. if you okay. type it in accidentally, you'll still get to that's it. What I, that's why I asked for the yeah. clarification. <laughs> yeah. Oh. So just kind of in um, starting to wrap things up here, what are you up to now? What is uh, like COVID, John? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> let's see. I'm um, I'm in the middle of writing a new uh, screenplay. This is that's a western set in Kansas that I'm really excited about. Uh, writing with a, a actress director out of los angeles her name is honey lauren 
and we've been writing it together over Zoom for several months now, and it's really fun. Um, I just contributed a chapter to um, the science fiction uh, book To Boldly Go, which is uh, created by uh, K Professor. Uh, he's one of the guys who did Steve Leonard out of the business school, and it's um, how strategy and um, uh, and working together is analyzed uh, through the science fiction films. So I did a whole chapter on Alien, and it's a it's a really, really cool book. It's got some heavy hitters on there. Max Brooks, who wrote uh, World War Z, he's one of the contributors. Oh, cool. Uh, very excited about that. And then I'm also working on a children's book with another KU professor, uh, author Stephen Johnson. Oh, that'll be fun. So lots of projects in the works. Yeah, yeah you know, COVID, there was something about that, that like I, I uh, this documentary that produced called Big Fur, we sold it right before COVID hit. We had played at Slam Dance, so we got a deal there and then sold it um, uh, to this, you know, documentary company and then they put it on prime and all these channels so it the timing of it was perfect but as the end of the year hit it was kind of like what next i've been working on this thing for three or four years mm -hmm. so i was like i just need projects or i'm gonna go crazy working from home you know so i i reached out to some people i wanted to collaborate with and and we've been you know figuring out how to do this you know in a in a zoom world yeah yeah, it's definitely, yeah, it's definitely been a challenge, but I, it's, it's for sure becoming like, I feel like we're all learning how to navigate uh, being in our computers all the time right. better. Yeah. I do yeah. think the one like good thing that came of it was the ability to like reach out. I mean, we've done interviews with people in California and Chicago and like things that, you know, beforehand we, I didn't know what Zoom was, you know, Zoom wasn't. Yeah, <laughs> I, I enjoy it. Like there's, you know, it's one thing to do a phone interview. Yeah. But it's different to do a Zoom interview. Yeah, um, for sure. Be, because yeah. like you can take in the visual, you can take in uh, facial expressions, feels closer to an in-person interview. Right, right. Yeah, I definitely know because really in the first couple seasons of our podcast, we really weren't have like we weren't doing a whole lot of um, guest work and like this, this, like um, we're on like our third season, we've been doing like 10 episode seasons. This one has been like all like guest mm -hmm. things. So it's definitely been fun for Sarah and I to kind of like, you know, feel out how this type of like having a guest on like works like in our format, I guess, <laughs> and like figuring out how that works. I always prefer having a guest on a podcast. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, otherwise, um, I don't know. You find yourself going on ta tangents that when you listen back, go, why are we talking about that? Right. <laughs> I, think, I think our thought, like for the first, I think we did like four episodes. Like the first four were no guests. And then on the fifth one, we like brought them on. But we, for that, we just kind of wanted to like establish ourselves. Yeah, but now we're like, all right, we need to plan out the season based around which guests we can talk to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah. It's been, it's been fun to have the time to be able to again to, to do that. Yeah. yeah. Do you have a dream guest? We we actually something I yeah something I am proud of that we at least like made the connection. So one of Sarah and I's favorite artists. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. His name is Stephen Day he's um he's not he, he's not like super big but he kind of has like uh 
John Mayer, um, mm-hmm. like singer songwriter type of. I've interviewed vibe. him. Yeah, he's in my yeah. book. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. He's he's kind of in that um, realm. Um, but when I don't even know when did we last semester? Yeah, it was, I mean, we, we kind of were just like messing around, kind of like DMing some of our favorite um, artists on Instagram and just kind of, you know, like shooting shots kind of thing. And he responded to us and he was like, hey, like contact my manager about this. And so we were kind of, we were like sending emails back and forth about it. And we were talking for, I don't know, maybe like two weeks. Yeah. Maybe even a little longer we were in communication with her, but it ended up not working out. But I think we were both like impressed, I guess, with the way we, handled the situation of because that was the first time we'd ever talked to somebody's manager and he (laughs) like I think part of the issue was he was like about to release music yeah he was getting busy there was like a lot going on and the manager was just kind of like if you hit us up at a better time like maybe we can work this out yeah yeah but it definitely I don't know yeah it was a new experience for us again like talking to somebody that's one of the things I always tell people which is famous people are busy yeah. And that's the thing. And sometimes the busyness is so out of their control. Like, uh, you know, when I was putting the book together, people don't understand you can't just go, well, I'm going to go interview famous people and ask them a question for uh, the worst gig. You would get zero responses because you're, you're not helping them in any way. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, but, but I had the opportunity for, you know, to, to get a huge catalog of stories when I you know, shoehorn this question into an interview we were already doing, mm-hmm. you know, and that's why I had access to this. And then once the website came out, I had a little more juice to where I could go, Hey, it's this website that's getting all these hits could be a TV show. And then I got more interviews. And then when I got the book deal, it's like, Hey, I'm writing a book about this. Mm-hmm. It's very different, you know, how you can have access to people. And now it's been around, like I've, I've um, interviewed people where I go, Hey, can I ask you this question? And they'll go, Oh yeah, I read your book. And I was like, I had no idea that you even knew who I was, you know? Right, right. So it, it, it kind of feeds upon itself that way. Yeah. Yeah. Really truly. I know it's definitely been fun to kind of like, again, like just like grow our own networks of people we know and like throughout this whole thing. And just kind of, we definitely, we start with our friends and mm-hmm. we, um, we have kind of are branching into the friends of friends and, you know, going down the line in that way um which and is, now you've yeah, got a good like a, a podcast too it's not like you have you know three you know you've got you've got a lot of them now and so right. it shows you've established you know you know uh, legitimacy mm-hmm. yeah really truly well thank well, you thank so you much for talking to us of yeah. course very fun talking to you yeah yeah really truly All right, so um, time for some send-off songs, which means you've made it to the almost end of another episode of Rebeat. Yes, you have. So as you know, like this season, we've been doing, um, we've incorporating, we've been incorporating the audience a little bit more, and um, we send out a song check-in every Wednesday, and have you guys let us know what you're listening to, and we shout out couple of those every week so the first audience send-off song is called glad you exist by dan and shay and that was sent in by underscore 
Taylor Ann 31. You know her, you love her. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Shout out. <laughs> um, yes, our next send-off song is coming from Maddie underscore Malm. It's like calm, but with an M at the front. Um, and she sent in Way Less Sad by AJR. Oh my gosh. I've been listening to that one too. Like I, that was like in the running for one of my personal send-offs. Oh, that's so cute. But she didn't steal it, don't worry. Cool. But what have you been listening to, Sarah? My send-off songs are so first I'm gonna go with <laughs> this is kind of a funny story. It's called Mama's Boy by Chromio. And this song randomly popped in my head, but I remember being like probably seven or eight and my friend Teddy showed me the music video on YouTube and it's like a like sketched, it's like black and white, like sketched like animation for the music video. And I just like hadn't listened to it in a bunch of years and it randomly popped in my head and now I'm like, dang, this is just unlocking so many memories every time I listen to it. (laughs) Oh, wait, that's funny. And then the last one, I'm going to say Napkins by Riz LaVie. It's like R-I-Z-L-A-V-I-E. But that like randomly came on when I was driving with Audrey on a playlist she was playing, and I really liked it. And I actually showed it to Grace. <laughs> yes, you did, and I, I did like it. My send-off songs for this week, firstly, I've been just listening to the song too much and Sarah knows it. It's a song called Greek Tragedy by the Wombats, but it's like specifically a remix by this guy named Oliver Nelson. And I just like can't explain the vibes, (laughs) like the good vibes that I'd be driving around and feeling while listening to this song. The next song I'm going to highlight is a song called This Life um, by Vampire Weekend. And this is actually one of my mom's like favorite songs ever. <laughs> like <laughs> Stacy Centeno bops to this. And um, oh well, I've been thinking about my mom and missing her lately. And I'm gonna see her soon. But that's why I've been listening to that. Yeah. Nice. All right. Well, if you're not, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Rebeat with S and G. But more importantly, because I know most of you guys aren't. We recently made a TikTok. This is true. Which I believe is also at Rebeat with SMG. Facts. And then we're still on Facebook. Yes, we hopefully, yeah, we'll be rolling out some fun content and all those things. Yeah, um, definitely. So be sure you're following, be sure you're liking, interacting, commenting. All of those things. Yes. Follow us on Spotify, Apple Music, give us good reviews. I don't know. Do all Thank that good you stuff. so much. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah. That's the Thank end you guys that. so much for listening. Have a happy day. Hey, Grace and Sarah out.